With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the episode 35 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, and with me today to review the 2016 Major League season, he is Scott Coleman. What's up, man? Hey, Brad. How you doing? Thanks for having me back on. It's always a pleasure to have you, sir. I'm good. Uh, my Falcons won. We were talking about that before recording. We were recording this on Sunday night. Um, after the Falcons got a big win. I know a lot of our Braves fan brethren are Falcons fans. You, are, of course, are not a Falcons fan, and we were lamenting offline uh, your, your Indianapolis Colts, but it could have been worse for you today, I guess. Yeah, they, they somehow won. Um, I don't ever really know how they win, considering <laughs> there's like <laughs> nobody that's good on the team um, other than like two players, but they won, and the division kind of stinks, so uh, maybe they'll sneak into the playoffs somehow. It's always fun in the AFC South, for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, anyway, we could talk about football all day long, but we do have some stuff to get to. Two weeks ago, uh, Eric Cole joined me to break down the, the, the minor league season for 2016 kind of in a broad way, and last week uh, I was too lazy to book a guest, so I went solo. And this week we're going to do the Major League recap, so that's kind of the overall theme of the show. But before we get to that, uh, there is bigger news-ish, or I guess a more current item to discuss. That is the managerial search of the Atlanta Braves. Uh, we are recording this just for everybody. So everybody knows at 7:35 p.m. Eastern time right now. So uh, if if the Braves hire a manager between now and the time you listen to this podcast, I'm sorry. Right now, as of this time, we are, they have not hired one, so we're going to speculate recklessly about uh, what's going to happen with the Braves managerial search at this point. Uh, they've interviewed Bud Black, and they've interviewed Ron Washington as external candidates, in addition to Brian Snicker, the current interim manager, Eddie Perez, and Terry Pendleton, and what was the other guy? I just blanked on the fourth one. Um, Bo Porter. Porter. Bo Porter, yeah. yes. Bo Porter. Uh, I'm, I'm blanked because he doesn't really matter. It's basically, uh, in the eyes of everyone at this point, coming down to Snicker and Black. So, Scott, I guess we talked about this a little bit previously, but I wanted to tee you up. Uh, what would your what would your pick your pick be to be the manager of this team moving forward if it's uh, between those two options or if for some reason you love Ron Washington <laughs> I need you to sell me on that one so whichever one you want to go with tell me why I lean towards Bud Black um, though regardless of if it's Bud Black or Snitker I really won't have too big of a uh, I guess a freak out either way. Um, I think both would be fine managers, to be honest. The reason I lean towards Black, uh, he has a pitching background. Um, he has uh, nine or ten years of experience managing the Padres, who were uh, decently good while he was the manager. Um, and Bud's ba- Bud Black's background, say that five times fast, is in pitching. And I think that if there's been one consistent theme over the last two and a half years or so for the Braves, Um, it has been, they want as many young pitchers as possible. Black generally had one of the best pitching staffs in San Diego and maybe folks on the East coast didn't get to see him too much since their first pitch came at 10 Oh five each night, but, um, really turned in, uh, just a bunch of random guys into one of the best bullpens in the national league. Um, kind of had some reclamation projects in his rotation that turned into really good values for a mid-level club like the Padres. They don't have a huge budget, neither do the Braves. Um, and again, it's just the experience thing. Snicker did have a really nice final couple, two months or so with the team. Um, I know the players like him, but just considering how big of a hire this is for the Braves as they go into kind of their next era, um, I would like it to be someone who has a little bit more experience. And I think I would prefer Bud Black to be the guy who, who takes that over. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm generally in line with you there. I think, uh, and you mentioned the pitching angle with Bud Black. That's something we should we should say also is that the Braves moved on from Roger McDowell this week, the longtime pitching coach. Uh, he had been on the bench in Atlanta for 11 seasons. So, uh, you know, Roger's been around for a lot of the fan base. Uh, really, I think about guys like Carlos, who kind of uh, basically grew up on Roger McDowell and kind of missed the uh, the early to mid-90s era, and it's been a lot of Roger for a long time now. So having a new voice in that, in that way, uh, when, when that announcement came down, my first reaction is was the, that the Braves were going to hire Bud Black, and that's uh, that was that was a big assumption on my part. But I do think, uh, if anything, in terms of the managerial search, that that sort of tips the scales a little bit towards Black because of the fact that he has that pitching background. Um, you know, in general, I think I've gotten the the uh, rap as someone who's anti snicker and that's not really the case. I just I've been saying over and over again that I I just wanted the Braves to actually do a managerial search. I was not on board with. You know the notion that you know Snickers been so good, you have to you have to you have to give him the job, and it's like no, no, you don't. You don't have to give the guy the job. It's not like this is a he had you know a strong two and a half months or so of production, and you know, and really it coincides with a Braves team that was much more set up to win games talent wise. They were not rolling out Pierzynski and Ibar every day. They were playing with guys like Dansby in the lineup. Like this still wasn't the greatest collection of talent you'll ever see. But Snicker had a much better hand to work with talent-wise and, uh, you know, just, you know, asset-wise than Freddie Gonzalez did earlier in the year. Uh, I, you know, there's nothing Snicker did, in my opinion, that uh, was particularly bad. Like, I don't think he's the greatest tactical manager from what we saw. And I think he's sort of an old-school guy in a way that I don't really love in, you know, moving forward. But... As you said, you know the players really have gone to bat for Snicker in a very public way, a way that a lot of people have noted they did not really go to bat for Freddie Gonzalez near the end. So uh, I, I understand people that want to hire Snicker. You know, it's a small sample, but he did he did good work. He's an organizational lifer for the Braves. He's been around forever, so I get it. I just I think Bud Black is a better tactical manager from what we know at this point in time. And you know, I, a lot of people are pointing to Bud Black's 477 win percentage in, in San Diego without the context of the fact that they had a, basically a tiny payroll and no talent for the great majority of the time that he was there. So it's, uh, it's be, it, it, this is a very nuanced thing. I just, I'm, well, in the end, I'm kind of with you that I won't be upset in either direction. I'm just really kind of glad the Braves actually went out and interviewed some people and at least one serious candidate in black rather than just giving the job a snicker. You know, and somebody mentioned this the other day, and, and you touched on Snicker kind of being a lifer with the Braves. The one scenario which I think would be the best case for the Braves would be if they were to hire Black as manager, and then if Snicker would take the bench coach job, um, you know, with his background and relationship with most of the roster now, um, I think that would be a best case scenario. Now, I don't know if Snicker would take that. I don't know how much of a pride issue it would be um, or if he would get calls for other other teams, um, give him a look as manager. Um, but I would personally be all for that. Um, but again, if they decide to hire Snicker over Black, it's not as if they just brought in um, you know, it, it's not setting the team back three years by any means. And the good thing about managers is they're a lot easier to get rid of than players. It's not as if you sign these managers to six year, hundred million dollar deals. If you hire Snicker or black and the team is awful for the first season and a half, you get rid of them. It's, it's, you fire them and you move on. Hopefully that doesn't happen in Atlanta. Um, but it's not as if they're, they're tying themselves to this manager for the next 10 years. For sure, that is definitely worth noting, and I think that dream scenario does make some sense. Snicker, I think, has said on the record that he would uh, he would stay in Atlanta, kind of regardless. But that also doesn't mean that when if presented with another option, or if he's suddenly uh, you know more sour than you might think about not getting the job, that he would definitely stay. It is an advantage that he's been with the team for so long, so maybe he would take that job. And you know, there's potential that you you know you don't want to you don't want to necessarily hire a manager and say, by the way. Uh, one of these guys is definitely ha- definitely has to be on your staff. You almost want to give that guy a little bit more autonomy than that. Um, but you know, maybe if it's, maybe ultimately those guys can work together. I still think Snicker is probably a small favorite to get the job. That's just me editorializing on all, all the tea leaves that we've seen. But uh, I think I do think that the Roger McDowell piece uh, sort of lends itself towards Black a little bit. So maybe it's more of a toss up. Uh, and by, again, by the time you listen to this, the Braves could have hired a manager, announced it, and we call, we all could have reacted. So uh, don't hold us to all this stuff. We're trying to be as uh, as as current as possible. But uh, in the end, the manager is not going to win or lose. Uh, that many games for this team, you know, in the playoffs, things are magnified as we've seen with Freddie Gonzalez in uh, past years when the Braves were uh, 
much better and he was doing uh, Freddy Gonzalez stuff in the playoffs. But in terms of regular season success, it really does not predicate too much on who the manager is. And the manager is always, often given too much credit and too much blame for what happens on the field. I think we can both agree on that. You know, and if you put enough talent on a team, they're going to win regardless of who's filling out the lineup card every night. Just ask Freddy uh, Gonzalez, 96 wins. <laughs> That's right, exactly. And, you know, and then you see the talent go away and the Braves stopped winning games. So um, it's not as if this isn't a big hire, um, but I think the Braves would like to get on with it. I believe the team meets this week for their annual organization meetings, and I've got to think they would like to have uh, their manager of the future involved in those discussions. Absolutely, and uh, well, we could probably talk about you know managerial stuff all night long. We're gonna have to move on to actual player discussion. Uh, you know, instead of going through the entire active roster plus anybody that basically uh, contributed this year, we're probably gonna skip over some guys. Uh, shout out to Daniel Castro, but I'm not gonna do a, a deep dive <laughs> on, on Daniel Castro. You know, fan, a fan favorite of the podcast. That's um, your boy. That's my guy, of course. Uh, guys like him and Gordon Beckham and even like Przinsky and Ibar, who had a ton of at-bats this year but are not really worth talking about. We're going to breeze past those guys and kind of hit the highlights. But we are going to go you know, player for player, essentially. We might do a couple of tangents here, but want to break down what some guys did this season and kind of how they look moving forward. It's pretty generic, but uh, you know, you and I, have we'll have fun. We'll talk about some stuff here. Uh, I want to start with the infield. A uh, couple of, obviously, the big name is Freddie Freeman. But he's the, um, the easiest guy to talk about. Um, but I, I want to start with, with Adonis Garcia. Garcia is an interesting player who I think I've been pretty negative on in recent past. But a lot of Braves fans really like Garcia and value him and kind of want him to be around moving forward. What do you think about Garcia this year? He ended up being, you know, decent-ish, had a 90 WRC plus and was worth about one win uh, in terms of Fangraph's war. So not awful by any means, but he's older than you think and uh, as a flawed player. What, what were your impressions of Garcia? I think he surpassed expectations, which were low. And with that comes some encouragement. Um, but at the end of the day, he still wasn't a very good player. Um, you look at his numbers, 134 games. As you mentioned, the 90 WRC plus um, had a 0.8 war on fan graphs, which is not good considering you play 134 games. Um, hit for a little bit of power, um, 14 homers, and, and had uh, one of the higher slugging percentages on the team, though that isn't saying a whole lot. Um, to me, Adonis was fine last season, um, I guess 2016, all of a week ago, last season. Um, but to me, I would like to see the Braves make some kind of a move. Now, that move might be platooning him, whether it be with an in-house guy like Rio Ruiz, um, or it could be uh, they hit the free agent market or the trade market and bring someone in. Um, it was Again, it's not as if Adonis is some horrible player who's going to set the team back a couple games next year. But um, just because you didn't have high expectations and performed adequately um, – doesn't mean that you should be locked in for another 140 starts next season. For sure. And I think, you know, I, I definitely agree with you. The overarching point about Garcia, you do not want him to be your starting third baseman, like, by himself. If you platoon it, there are worse things to do. But I would, I would like an actual platoon, like not a 75-25 in Garcia's favor platoon, because that's not a platoon at all. Uh, you know, being that he's a right-handed hitter, he's going to be the weaker side of the platoon that plays less. And that's kind of what I would like to see. If they bring up Ruiz... You know, ultimately, if they think Ruiz is going to be a starter, I kind of want him to be able to hit left-handed pitching at some point in the major league level. So a straight platoon is not ideal, but if they're really trying to win and put the best team on the on the field next season uh, with all, with only in, internal options, then Ruiz and Garcia platooning is probably the best combination they can come up with. It's just the defense at third is always going to leave something to be desired. He was better in the outfield than I thought he'd be, and really better overall at third than I thought he'd be this year. He kind of came on stronger as the season went along after just an awful April, if I remember right. He was just so rough early on in the season. Yeah, But he's always going to be a bad defensive player. I kind of assume that. And his bat's just not quite good enough to make up for it. So I'm with you. He's not, not an inspiring piece, but they do have him for cheap next year. And I think he'll be on the team. It's just how much, how much uh, playing time he gets and what kind of exposure the Braves are willing to give him moving forward. Uh, I don't want to talk a ton about Ardonis. Uh, again, we're going to try to keep this breezy. But I do want to hit on Jace Peterson. 
guy I actually wrote about a little bit this week. Uh, I did. I was responsible for the player review for second base. So uh, Jace, in short, was uninspiring, but uh, a guy that I still like a little bit. How do you feel about Jace? Uh, you know, is is he a starting caliber player moving forward? I think second base is probably the position he could potentially play long term if he were, if you forced me to pick one, but. Are you comfortable with Jace as a second baseman? Is there is there a chance at least that he starts the year at second base next year? I think there's a a pretty good chance actually that he starts at second base next year. Now I don't think he is the long term answer there, but um, I think that the Braves will will take a little bit with Albies before they promote him to the big leagues. Um, but before we get on kind of the future, you know, Jace, you look at him and he played in 115 games, um, had an exact 0.0 WAR. Um, to me, I kind of felt like, yeah, but I felt like he was a little bit better than that. Um, just kind of watching with the eyeball test. Um, so it's not as if he, he's good. Um, I don't necessarily think he's bad either, even if his war would indicate he would. Um, I think he's a fine utility guy. Um, again, I wouldn't be surprised if, if he starts at second next season as the Braves give Albies, you know, two or three months and Gwinnett to, uh, one, get get his elbow healthy, and two, just get some seasoning in AAA since he struggled there a bit last season. Um, but I think there's a future for him on the team. Um, as a utility guy, there is value in, in his ability to play you know, three or four positions. So um, overall, I would have liked to see a little more production out of him, but um, he does have uh, limitations for what exactly he can do on a baseball field. And if the Braves didn't include him in next year's plans, I don't think anyone would be heartbroken. Yeah, I think he should be the incumbent second base option if they don't make a move externally and Albies is not ready. That's kind of, uh, you know, faint praise for Peterson. But after an awful start to the year, once he went to Gwinnett and came back, after he came back, he was actually a pretty darn good player. Like he finished with the season with a 95 WRC plus, but it was like somewhere in that 110 range after he came back from Gwinnett in the second half, which is, you know, just what you want. I guess yeah. it, it really comes down to what you think about his defense because Fangraphs hated his defense this year, and a lot of metrics did. But previously to that, at second base at least, Peterson was pretty darn good. So it's whether if, if you think he can, can be an above-average defender at second base, then he can certainly be a stopgap starter. If he's not, if he's a below-average defender, then you're looking at you know a below-average starter for sure, if not a guy who you know shouldn't be out there at all necessarily. So I think a lot of his value comes in the fact that he's a, a super-duper athlete and can play everywhere, but the Batman, it's, I don't think it's ever going to be uh, that serious, although he did have, like you know, it was like a high 700s OPS after the All-Star break, which is, you know, that's fine for an infielder. It's kind of all you need it to be. It's just... He's not an inspiring option is kind of the overall take. And Ozzy Albies is such a big name now, and Braves fans are kind of just waiting on him with bated breath that if he doesn't start the season, if, if Ozzy's healthy and is not the starter, people are going to be upset. You know, as, as silly as that is, that's just kind of the reality of things, especially if Peterson's the guy in front of him because Peterson's sort of just a mad player um, that is just – he's just he's fine. He's, he is what he is. I, I think both of us kind of feel the same way about Jace. Yeah, yeah, he's he is who he is. Uh, I don't think there'll be any – uh, great strides in his game. I don't think he's going to become an unplayable player either. Um, he is who he is. I'm fine with him playing, you know, 80 to 100 games next season. But I really think that the Braves realize they have a potentially special player in Albies. And while they don't want to rush him, people forget he's just not even 20 years old yet. Um, he is clearly the future. And, and I don't think Jace will have too much of an impact on him one way or the other. And real quick before we move on, I, I should say that what we talked about platooning Ruiz uh, and Garcia, I would really, really hate if Albies was up and not playing every day. Um, yep. That's been something some people have floated as like an option for next year. I would absolutely hate that. If you're going to platoon Albies, just leave him in the minors. Like, yeah, he, that would he's be up, horrible. Yeah, it's that's bad. Don't don't do that. Uh, I get what you're thinking, but you don't you don't bring, you don't call a guy up at 20 and platoon, and that makes no sense at all. So no. uh, we'll get, let's get that out of the way. Um, Real quick before we move on, uh, Freddie Freeman is good at baseball. Uh, top five MVP, MVP candidate, in my opinion, this year. Uh, I don't want to spend more than 30 seconds on Freeman because he's awesome, but he's awesome. That's basically all I have, right? Yeah, the season. He pulled the chipper, hit 302, 400 on base, and 569 slugging. Uh, the 345 slash line, I think, is arguably the greatest accomplishment for a hitter in baseball. Um, because it means you're hitting for average, you're getting on base by walking, and you're hitting the crap out of the ball. Um, when, if you compare where the Braves were at with Freeman a year ago compared to now, it's a complete 180, and his monstrous 
season to kind of catapult him into, you know, among one of the best in baseball um, was really fun to watch. Yeah, he's basically a top, you know, five or six hitter in the entire major leagues this year. If you go by WRC Plus, like that's how good he was. And if you factor in the fact that he was, you know, we were talking about on this podcast in like late April, early May, how bad he was. If you took out April, he'd be basically the second best player in baseball behind Mike Trout. That's how good yep. Freeman was. Yeah. So that's, you know, not worth talking about Freeman because he's just awesome and he's, you know, appropriately paid, if not underpaid, given this year. And uh, you know he's good. Which is, we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk play about Freddie in the future. But he's he's awesome. Oh yeah. Uh, lastly, in the infield, uh, a guy. You know, I guess not even one guy, but I guess the centerpiece. I want to talk about catcher a little bit. Tyler Flowers was uh, pretty darn good this year. Uh, kind of overachieved by anyone's uh, baseline standards. And also, uh, they had Anthony Recker late, late in the year, kind of come on. But Flowers is really the centerpiece, I think, uh, of this team from last from last season at catcher and potentially moving forward. Is this, is this something Flowers can repeat? You know, a, a one ten WRC plus this year uh, at a pretty pretty late age to be having something of a breakout at the plate. Are you are you buying Flowers as a legitimate starter option next year? Would you at least like to have him? Uh, you know, play play alongside a fifty fifty split. Someone you know, Brian McCann. I'm thinking if McCann was around, it'd be more than like more like seventy thirty. But is Flowers a legitimate starter possibility for twenty seventeen and beyond? Uh, I hope not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a good answer. Uh, 30 year old, 31 year old catchers don't tend to break out just randomly. Um, this was the second best season of his career. Um, you know, you look across the board and his BABIP was 366, uh, which is not going to be repeatable for a guy who is one what of the What do you slower. mean? He's an athlete, Scott. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, he. this isn't to say that Flowers is no good. I really did like the signing when they did it last year. Um, he, he's dirt cheap. He only makes $3 million next season. I would love to see a platoon with him and McCann, as you said, a kind of 70-30 split. It keeps those guys both fresh. Um I do like Flowers' ability to hit for a little bit of power, too, as a potential pinch hitting option. Um, I know that then you say, well, what if the catcher gets hurt? Well, what if the catcher doesn't get hurt and you wasted a solid bat off the bench because you're worried about an injury? So, uh, you know, Flowers was surpassed all expectations again. Um, he does have a little bit of history with injuries. Um, he's only played more than 100, uh, 100 games uh, in something like two of his last six years. And, of course, he failed to do that again this season. Um, but if they're able to bring in a another legitimate, um, even if it's just a rotational catcher to split, you know, down the middle 50-50, um, if not a Brian McCann or a Weeders or a Ramos, um, which I don't think is very likely, uh, I, I'm fine with, with Flowers getting a handful of starts. And, you know, his offensive game is, um, is one thing. He does call a good game behind the plate, though he's almost non-existent as far as throwing guys out. Oh, he was like, like three for 50, if I remember right. Um and that, that's a real concern. So all in all, a solid year for him, but I hope that the Braves don't go into 2016 expecting him to uh, to be their, their number one guy all the way through. Yeah, agree. Uh, Ketcher's been a, a free agent spot of discussion a lot. You mentioned Weeders and uh, Ramos. I, I want no part of Weeders. I think you're on board with me on that. That would not be a good idea unless it's like for a serious bargain. Um, but Ramos maybe down the line, potentially. I'd much rather trade for McCann than sign either one of those guys. Um, yep. Just, just as a quick hitter there, but uh, and and if you do that, you know McCann's getting up there in age and could play, you know, be basically be Freeman's backup at first base if anything happened to Freddie, and you just keep Flowers around. He's cheap and he's in, he'd be a strongly above average backup catcher if that's what you want to do. Uh, so I'd be fine with that. Um, all right, that's that'll do it for the infield. With again, with apologies to Daniel Castro, I'm not going to spend some time on him today. He can't hit. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's go to the outfield real quick. We spent a ton of time on this podcast talking about the outfield, so I don't want to go super in depth on these guys today. But Ender Enciarte uh, was the second best player on the Atlanta Braves this year by any really, uh, unless you're counting Julio Tehran, I guess. So second best position player on the Atlanta Braves this year by a pretty wide margin. And uh, Ender is a guy we both love. So let's talk about Ender a little bit. You know, it goes back to really what might end up being the trade of maybe the decade for the Braves. Um, Ender was just a joy to watch every time he was out there. Um, I think he ended up leading the National League in hits after the All-Star break. Um, I, I do think that with 
the trade came the expectations early on and then he gets hurt in the third game of the season. I think he was pushing and forcing himself a little bit too much once he got off the disabled list. Um, but for him to hit really league average in terms of, of other center fielders and to play gold glove level defense, I think he's going to win one here in the next couple weeks. Um, we'll see, of course, because gold glove voting is always more of a popularity contest than anything. Yes, that would be the fear. <laughs> You know, but Gold Glove or not, the guy's ridiculous. He can get the ball in front of him, behind him, climb the wall to beat the Mets. Um, you know, he he really was fun to watch. Good base runner, works his ass off on the field. Um, I I can't imagine any scenario where the Braves trade Ender. Of course, they got entrance last year in him uh, after the, the original deal with Arizona. I think they can pencil him in for another 140, 150 starts in center field as their leadoff guy. Um, Because he really was just everything you want in a center fielder. Absolutely, you know the the bat is interesting with Ender. I think you know I think he had like an eight thirty six OPS after the All Star break. That's that's above his head. I think he's not that good of a hitter. But I think his uh, actually the season totals uh, were actually kind of in line with what I think he is long term at the plate. Two ninety one, three three fifty one, three eighty one slash. Uh, about I think it was ninety seven WRC plus. Like that's kind of what he is at the plate. That's all he needs to be. At the plate, when you're an awesome defender in center field and you're so cheap like he is, that's really all you need. And while you know it was a cold start and a hot finish, if you average those two together, that's kind of what I think he is, and that's a really, really good player that's super valuable at a position like center field. You know, Ultimately, I think you'd rather have him not hit leadoff, at least for me. I'm not sure he's you know, a prototypical guy in that way and that I don't think his OBP I – mean, if it's 350, then sure, which is what it was this year, that's just fine. Uh, I think ultimately you'd probably rather have somebody who's a little bit better hitter at the top than Ender, but if you have to do that, and I think the Rays will have to do that uh, at least for next year, barring some surprise weird trade, uh, it's just fine. And Ender's awesome in basically every way. So leave him alone, leave him in center field, and kind of let him cook uh, a little bit and kind of build around him would be what I would say about Ender in terms of the outfield. He's, He's certainly the best outfitter on this team right now. And I think next year, as currently constructed, there's no reason to think he won't be the second best player again. Oh, I'm with you. Everything Ender did this year was was great, um, and I hope he's on the team. You know, and again, what's even better about that trade is, of course, Dansby and Blair have six years of their rookie status, but Ender has four more seasons in Atlanta, if oh I recall. Oh my goodness, it's a, it's uh, such a great contract and just a and heist. he'll be cheap. And he'll be cheap. You know, he's not a flashy home run hitter or a guy who steals fifty bases. He's going to be generally cheap once he hits arbitration. So. Um, yeah, well, again, th- that trade is probably the, the deal of the decade for the Braves. Um, I can't imagine anything comes close to topping it. Yeah, no doubt. At least, at least for now, we'll see with what, what Coffee has up his sleeve in the next year or so. But that's, for right now, that's certainly the leader in the clubhouse, and it'd be a surprise if it was one-upped. Uh, the two veteran outfielders are worth talking about. Nick Markakis had a, a solid year, kind of a Nick Markakis year. He had 13 home runs, which kind of came out of nowhere. But uh, in the end, that was good for exactly one uh, win, win above replacement, which is basically, again, what he is. Uh, the defense is bad. He doesn't have power. Uh, I, I know 13 home runs is fine, but it's still a sub-400 slugging percentage for a corner outfielder, which is not great. Uh, the other, on, the, on the flip side, Matt Kemp has power and nothing else, essentially. Uh, he's a bad, you know, Kemp's actually a worse defender than Marquecas by a pretty sizable margin, which says a lot considering Marquecas is a statue. Kemp's even more of a statue. Uh, and isn't as fundamentally sound as Marquecas. You know, Marquecas is going to catch the ball when it's hit to him. Uh, not something you definitely say about Kemp. Um, but I guess I'll ask you, you know, were you, is this kind of what we can expect from these two guys moving forward? Are you, are you basically penciling that in for again for this year? And uh, who's the better bet moving forward? I know Kemp makes a lot more money than Marquecas does, but they're kind of signed for about the same amount of time. Uh, moving moving forward, and I doubt, at least this is me talking, that they're both going to be on the roster for very much longer. You know, with Marcakis, he is who he is, and we know who he is, and he's being paid a reasonable amount of money. He's paid about $10 million a season, given his production. Um, That's pretty fair. Um, You know, three months ago, I would have said there's no chance that that Kemp and Marcakis would be on the same roster in 2017. I'm not so sure now. I almost think the Braves might do that. They might hold on to Kemp and Marcakis and then oh. have Mouse be the, the crazy fourth outfielder. But um, I think there's enough to go around. My thinking is I'm not really sure what Marcakis could fetch in a deal. Um, he, sure, if a team wants to give the Braves 
you know, a top flight prospect for him. I think you do it, but considering, you know, what you're getting, um, I'm not sure that Malik is an everyday outfielder. And while I love what Dustin Peterson did in the minors, he probably needs a full year in triple a, he's your guy, Dustin Peterson, love, love him. Um, so I think though that there's, there's, uh, with no obvious replacement for him, I wouldn't be surprised if the Braves hang on to Marcakis. Um, I don't think they'll trade Kemp. I think Kemp was everything and more that they could have hoped for, kind of that big bopper in the middle of the order. Um, again, his defense, he's not going to win a gold glove, but uh, if he can hit and they can kind of hide him in left field with Dansby in front of him and and uh, Ender shifted over a couple of steps to, to help him out uh, in center, um, you know, I, uh, Kemp was, was great to be frank. It was nice to watch a guy who can actually hit home runs again. Um, the amazing thing is he was actually fourth on the Braves in home runs and he played 56 games for them. Uh, he had 12 homers oh. in 56 games. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, he was one off from being tied with Mark Kakis who played 158 and two off from tying Adonis who was 134 games. So, um, Again, I've said this before, I kind of think of him similar, similarly to the way the Cardinals kind of hid Matt Holliday in left field all those years. Um, a guy who just crushes the ball in the middle of the order um, and, and just you just hope that he catches the ball every time it's hit at him. I think there's enough speed and glove guys on the roster and, and on the way that they can afford a kind of a, a power-hitting Stonehenge in left field, if you will. Um, so as of now, I, I kind of think they will keep both guys, um, for better or worse. Um, and again, it's not as if they couldn't deal Marcakis at some point now that he's down to just two years left on the deal. Um, uh, but if the Braves really do kind of want to be competitive next season, um, and considering that Kemp and Inciarte have had some injuries in the past, um, I don't think they'll necessarily make way to, to deal either of them unless there's kind of a, a no doubt deal that comes along. Yeah, that's not crazy at all. I just, for me, the defense is such a concern for both guys, and that um, obviously you could you can shade Enciarte towards Kemp, and that's fine. But because Marquez has no range in right field, uh, that would be kind of a mess, and we saw that a little bit at times. Um, it does help to have a great center fielder when you're playing between two bad defenders. Uh, and again, Marquez, I get pushback from Marquez. He did, he was a Gold Glover. I get it. And he will catch the ball when it's hit to him. It's just that he he doesn't get to balls anymore. It's the Derek Jeter thing late, late in his career. Jeter was once a good defender, and by the end, with no mobility, was not a good defender. It's and it's it's reputation and all those things. And people still refer to him as former Gold Glover at Marquez. And I get it, but no. Uh, so it helps to have Ender, and that makes it more palatable in that situation that you're talking about, where those two guys are starting in the corners. I just think you want more power. Uh, ultimately, if you have a bad defender like Kemp, at least Kemp has power uh, with Marcakis. Like he gets on base, that's good. He can do that at a very, a very nice level. But it's tough to have a guy who plays below average defense and doesn't have power in a corner outfield spot. It's rough, but I get it. Those are the internal options you have. Um, lastly, we talked about Malix a little bit. Um, I'm kind of with you. Malix is not necessarily a, uh, a full-time guy unless he's playing center field. Uh, and because he can't play center field right now, because Enciarte exists, it's kind of a rough setup for Malix because I think he probably is ready to play. It's just that you can't you can't justify him in a corner outfield spot with his bat right now. Does that, does that make sense to you? Yeah, I think so. I just I'm not sure that that Enciarte and Malix can start 160 games in the same outfield. There's just no uh, bats. You can't do that. Yeah, work. even even if Kemp continues to hit the way he did this season, I just I just don't see it working for the Braves. Yeah, I'm with you, and I I still like Malik. I kind of want you know Malik might be an interesting trade candidate to be honest. Um, in that you don't you never want to sell a guy for you know sell low on a guy, and you know Malik's had an up and down year based on the injury and all that stuff. But um, being that he basically is blocked, I would be interested to see if they could. Throw him in a deal. I don't think he's going to be a centerpiece of a big deal somewhere because he's not that kind of prospect, uh, at least in my opinion. But maybe they can capitalize on some of his value and move on from him because you've got guys like Peterson coming behind uh, him that could be Peterson's more you know profile's a little bit better in a corner spot than Malik's would. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Um, I guess we can get to the pitching uh, again. We did not hit on every every position player prospect and uh, player, but there's there's plenty of guys to get to. Uh, the bullpen, we can fly through these because it's the bullpen, and bullpens are super volatile, as we uh, as we know. But the Braves did just sign Jim Johnson to a, a contract extension at a very weird time. What did you think about that about that deal, pending the fact that we don't really know how much money it was? Well, I thought it was the timing of it was odd, and then of course 
Jim Johnson publicly uh, praised Roger McDowell for kind of figuring out his yeah, that was weird. stage. And then three days later, he was fired. Um, so I'm not entirely sure what. I, I don't know how Johnson is as far as a presence for the younger guys in the bullpen. Of course, the Braves will have some younger guys in there next year as, as some of the hard throwers and the minors come up. Um, but as long as the money is reasonable, and I, I can't imagine it's not, um, I was fine with it. I just I did think the timing was a little odd. Um, but hey, you can never have enough relievers. And um, even though they did sign to a two-year deal, they could always trade him uh, next summer. So um, it was odd timing, and you know Johnson was pretty good this year. Um, and if he's a veteran who can help the young guys in the bullpen next season, um, I'm all for it. Honestly, this is going to be cold-hearted, but they should trade Johnson this winter. Yeah. After signing him to extension, that, I mean, that's kind of it. Wouldn't look great, but the fact that I'm I'm assuming the same thing you are that it's going to be probably a little bit below market for what he for how good he was this year, and being that he's a veteran, uh, you know, and relievers are generally overvalued in the market, it would probably be a good idea to trade a guy who's under control for two years and is still a good pitcher. But uh, they probably won't do that. It's just something that I might consider doing as a more uh, you know analytically inclined person as I am. I know you are as well. It's just. Johnson was good. He had 20 saves, which doesn't really matter to me. But you know, 3.06 ERA, 2.71 FIP this year, uh, more than a strikeout per inning. Like he was generally good. And uh, actually, he finished second on the team in F4 uh, behind Julio in terms of pitchers, which is not what you want to be honest. Uh, to have a reliever do that that wasn't even a closer all year long. But uh, Johnson's, you know, he's the safest piece of the bullpen moving forward. I would say. Yeah, and, and again, as you said. Bullpens are so volatile and injuries happen and especially a handful of the guys that the Braves are going to count on next season have a history of injury. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm sure that they were able to work out something. Johnson seems to like pitching in Atlanta. Um, he was horrible last year with the Dodgers after getting traded at the deadline. So yeah, he's been, um, he's been up and down. This is a guy who, you know, he, who uh, eclipsed 50 saves on a couple of occasions in Baltimore, which is, you know, rarefied error. Again, saves are saves. <laughs> They're very overrated as a statistic, but uh, he's been a go-to guy as a closer for a while. I was going to ask you this later, but I guess we'll get, we can get to it now. Uh, knowing what you know about the guys in the system, would you who would you open the year with as the closer next year, provided that you would actually have a traditional closer, which you know most Sabre people will tell you that they don't really need that. But the Braves are almost certainly going to have in a traditional closer. And would you open with Johnson, or would you go back to Aroidas if he's healthy? Like where where would you head in that? Because uh, you know Vizcaino was obviously the guy at one point this year early on, but he, he also walked six guys for nine innings this year. It was it was not a good year for Aroidas. I'm going to guess that Johnson gets first crack at it if he's able to repeat what he did last season. Um, I, I think he'll be the guy. Um, but really, there are three or four guys. You could have Cabrera. You could have Vizcaino. Um, even Shea Simmons, if he comes back. Um, all late-inning guys. A.J. Minter, the the uh, second-round pick who was making his way through the bit, the minor leagues, he's also a candidate at some point. So I'm going to bet that the Braves don't have one designated closer for, for all next year. Um, it's just going to kind of be a mix of who's pitching well at the time. Yeah, Minter's a guy we get asked about a ton on this podcast. We probably don't talk about enough, but very interesting name especially if they were to move on from Johnson or if they don't, they just don't want him to be the closer. Minter could be a guy, a sleeper closer like pretty soon, even by the end of next year. It wouldn't surprise me at all. If he was in a super high leverage role on a regular basis, he was awesome this year and the minors. Yeah. Uh, one guy we haven't talked about in the bullpen. I wanted to get to is Ian Kroll. Uh, he actually had the second most appearances on the team uh, behind Johnson uh, left a 25 year old left-hander that, you know, kind of flew under the radar, but had a very nice season, struck out almost 10 batters per nine innings. Um, a 3.18 ERA, 51 innings. Like he was pretty darn good. Are you a fan of Kroll moving forward? Again, you know, left-handed relievers are kind of, uh, you know, a dime a dozen for the most part. But he doesn't. He looks to me like he a little bit more than a loogie, like an actual, you know, a functional lefty who can get righties out and just kind of be overall effective. And he's still pretty young at 25. Yeah, you know, Kroll had some hype behind him when he was coming up in the minor leagues, and and of course he was not very good with the Tigers. Uh, but yeah, he was really impressive. Um, as you mentioned, the second most appearances on the team, uh, struck out more than a batter per inning, kept his walks down, righties didn't tee off on him. Um, you know, I, I don't see any reason why they don't bring him back next season, uh, especially again, a guy with a little more, 
uh, a little more experience under his belt. Um, looking back on it, the Braves got Kroll in the deal for uh, Cameron Maben. Uh, so that deal kind of worked out for both sides. Maben had a pretty good season. Um, similarly to the year he was with the Braves, he battled injuries all year, but when he did play, he was productive. Um, and of course, the Braves got a, a pretty solid reliever in Kroll. So um, I think he'll certainly be a he would have to have just kind of an awful spring to not be on the roster to open next season. Um, and if he continues to do this, um, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't make another 50 or 60 appearances next season. Yeah. He was clearly the best left left-handed reliever on the team this year. So there's no reason to think he won't be able to do that again. By a mile. Yeah. By a, a country mile, I would even say. Uh, so that that's probably enough bullpen talk for this podcast. We did mention Mauricio Cabrera who throws about 108 miles an hour. That's only a slight exaggeration. That's a weird, he's a weird guy because he only struck out seven, seven and a half guys per nine despite throwing over 100 on a regular basis, but still posted a, a, a sub three ERA. I don't really know what to make of Cabrera, but that, I guess we, I guess I could ask you about that real quick before we move on. It's just, he looks like a closer in the way that he throws the fastball, but that's kind of, that's kind of it for Cabrera, yeah. at least from what I see. It's the old Bobby Cox. You throw a fastball enough times to a to a big league hitter, they can time a jet if you give them enough chances. And yeah, if you're throwing 102, it's hard to hit. But if you do make contact, the ball tends to go pretty far, um, or at least it's hit hard. Uh, but yeah, I think Cabrera, for a guy who kind of walked the ballpark in, in the minors, he came in and didn't walk everyone. His, his walks per nine was just under 4.5. Um, I think he'll have a shot to to make a roster spot next season. And, um, you know, if he, if he continues their 102 and isn't walking everybody, I think they'll keep him around for a while. Yeah, he's an intriguing option to be sure. Uh, let's get to the rotation before we get too long on this thing. Uh, one One little nugget for the people. There were 16 players on Atlanta Braves that started a game in the rotation this year. That's too many. Uh, ideally, you would not like to have that happen again. Um, uh, obviously, a handful of them only pitched one or, one or two times. Uh, Casey Kelly, Ryan Weber, Roberto Hernandez, the artist formerly known as Presto Carmona with uh, two starts, uh, Josh Colmenter. There's a bunch of these guys are weird names, but um, I was going to ask you this as a, as a fun game that I did not brief you for. Do you care about any of these players? Is, are any of these players worth talking about? Uh, there's a little bit of a list here. Williams Perez, Joel, no. De, Joel, Joel De La Cruz. No. Um, Rob Whalen. Uh, Maybe-ish. Uh, uh, yeah. Sort of no. Uh, yeah. Jo- Josh Colmenter. He was actually decent for a it's start or two. Starts, but starts, yeah. But not really, yeah. <laughs> uh, Roberto Hernandez, I think, is a no. Um Ryan Weber, top prospect, Ryan Weber. Oh, boy, that poor guy. And Casey what? Kelly is used to be like an uber prospect and is now not that anymore. Yeah, he might be a bullpen guy, but definitely. Well, he, he pitched out of the bullpen on a few occasions for the Braves, and by the way, he struck out 2.9 batters per nine innings. Oh, wow. It's only, that... 20, it's only 21 innings, so it's a small sample, but whoa, that's bad. Yeah, he was. I think he was a prod, product of the Boston Red Sox kind of hype. He was coming up as the Sox were really getting good, and everyone kind of had him penciled in as the next star pitcher for them, and he really kind of flamed out. Uh, I guess we should talk about Colmenter a little bit. Colmenter is a veteran guy who I heard something on the radio, actually, from a relatively credible source. I won't name him now, but like talking about Colmenter is like a favorite to be in the rotation next year, and I did not think about that in that way, but I guess it's possible I mean, he's been a guy who was effective at one point in Arizona, uh, someplace that you know full well, being a resident of the state. Um, yeah. Colmenter's an interesting pitcher. He kind of basically fell off the face of the earth, um, but was relatively decent in three starts for the Braves. Is he something that even to keep an eye on for like the fifth starter spot to start the year next year? I don't think he's going to be any, like a centerpiece or anything, but could he be around theoretically? I think he and about eight other guys will be in a battle for the, the final spot in the rotation. Um, of course, if the Braves go in and add two starters as as they've kind of publicly said i don't uh think he'll end up winning the fifth spot over someone like matt whistler aaron blair um but he pitched pretty well for being a scrap heap guy i'm gonna bet that he will be with the club next season and just kind of uh maybe flirt between triple a and and the bigs uh you know fill in if a pitcher has a cold or a flu or something like that and he's a, a night off um I could see him maybe pitching 50, 60 innings in Atlanta next season. He could also be a long man out of the bullpen. Um, he did a little bit of that with Arizona out here. So um, he was an interesting guy at the time. His career numbers really aren't that bad. Um, but as you mentioned, he just kind of disappeared and fell off the map for a year or so there. 
Yeah, he's a weird guy. It's all about deception with Cole Munter. It's got, he's got that weird delivery. It's he was really effective for a while, and then people kind of figured it out. Um, and he's been he's been able to kind of write the ship, but he's a I think you're right, more like a seventh starter type. It's kind of going to go back and forth. A um, couple of intriguing ish names before we get to the actual guys who are going to be contributors that we know of. Uh, John Gant is an interesting pitcher that the Braves acquired. Is still intriguing. Has a nice little skill set, and also a guy. Um, I guess we talked about Whalen already, so we won't talk about him. But Ryan Weber, people do ask about. So you know, Gant and Weber, interesting ish. I think Gant's more interesting than Weber is, to be fair, because Gant struck out almost a batter per inning last year in 50 innings and had a sub five ERA. It's not anything to write home about. But Gant was an actual prospect ish guy who I think could be a factor there as well. Do you, do you like either one of those guys at all? Uh, again, I think they'll be in that kind of mix of the eight guys battling for the final rotation spot. Um, they all kind of seem like 4A pitchers to me. Are, they, be- are, are they better than Williams Perez? Y- yes. John, Gann- better- John Gann is for sure better than Williams Perez, right? Yeah, yeah. If, if I have to watch another Williams Perez start, I'm going to break my television. Listen, um, the guy, it's amazing that he continues to get starts. He he struck, he struck out less than five like less than five per nine had a six point oh four RA and he still got eleven starts like what what do we have to see I don't get it yeah I, I just uh, yeah I just I just don't get it either um, we, we but, agree on this one but again I think Williams will be a guy who's one of the eight who are kind of fighting for a spot but most of them will likely be either sent to Gwinnett or or released um, for them to go to a different club all right I think the next tier is two guys um, who are both in the you know baby for next year rotation and they are Aaron Blair and Tyrell Jenkins. Uh, there are a bunch of, uh, there are a bunch more prospects that were actual, actually pure prospects that we won't talk about today because this is the major league edition. Uh, if you want to talk about the minor league edition, go back and listen to that podcast. But two guys who did come up and pitch this year and Jenkins and Blair, who I know are in that mix for you as well. We can talk a little bit about, about these guys. Who, who would you, I guess, who do you have higher expectations for moving forward between Blair and Jenkins? They were both bad. Uh, let's not talk about, let's not sugarcoat it, especially Blair. Blair was awful this year, but uh, is I think Blair, for me, is the guy I would prefer out of these two guys long term if I had to pick one that I think could have an actual impact in a rotation, but they're both we're talking about. So Jenkins and, Jenkins and Blair, what do you think about those guys? I think Blair might honestly have the best chance to win the fifth spot, um, even over a guy like Whistler, who's been with the club a little bit longer. I think his stuff is a little bit better in the minors. He tended to, to have stronger strikeout numbers and might have a little bit better stuff. Um, I've never been overly impressed with Jenkins, even you know from the days the Braves got him from the Cardinals. He's never struck anyone out. Um, for being kind of a contact ground ball guy, um, he walks a decent number of guys, and he was just downright awful with the Braves in, in 52 innings. He had a negative one war, like 1.0. He um, walked that, more than he struck out. That makes him like like one of the worst pitchers in all of baseball. Um, and I know he's still young. He's 24, and, and he does seem like a nice guy. I guess maybe that gives him a little bit of credit within the organization. But I've never been enamored with him. His numbers in double triple A weren't anything amazing. Um, I personally think he's a fringe reliever moving forward. Um, and while Blair had his struggles and he really did struggle, I think there's a little bit more there um, that he could potentially fill a slot uh, next season as the fourth or fifth starter, especially if injuries start to happen. Yeah, I think the interesting part there, I, I generally agree with you on Jenkins, by the way. I just don't, I've never seen it. And I, I, I kind of don't get it based on the numbers. I know that's that's too much numbers analysis. But when you walk more than you strike out for 52 innings, that's, that is. Ooh, that's tough to do and be a functional major league pitcher. Even if you're out coming out of the bullpen, that's rough, man. You can't be. I mean, yeah. it, it, you can't. Agreed. Uh, so, again, that's a small sample. It's 14 appearances. It's 50, 52 innings. So maybe I don't want to shove, shovel too much dirt on him, but I don't think he's a starter moving forward. I've always kind of said that, and it's even that was driven home more this year. I think the interesting part there that you said is that you might have Blair as a higher possibility of uh, getting a spot than Whistler. I think Whistler and Fulte are kind of in their own tier. Fulte is a step ahead based on his stuff and his pedigree. So I think he's, you know, he's safely the number two guy as, as, as constructed right now uh, with full knowledge that this team is going to absolutely add a piece or two in the rotation. But Whistler is a very interesting player. We talked about a ton, but I want to bring it up again here. You know, guys, there's a lot of guys who are fans of Whistler. I know Carlos, uh, our old pal, Carlos Colazzo is a big fan. Zach Diller from Fox Sports is a big fan of Whistler, but this is another year where he basically didn't take a step forward at all. Finished with a 5.00 ERA uh, in 156 innings. Uh, he still, I mean, his, the, the strikeout to walk stuff is 
not ideal because uh, he's not really a strikeout pitcher. He's never going to be that, but he still is walking almost three per nine, which is not awful. But when you're a non-strikeout pitcher like he's going to be, I think you have to be a little bit better than that, command-wise. And as a result, he gives up a lot of home runs still. Yeah, that's, that's a lot a, of them. That's a worry for Whistler. And his, his stuff's just not that good. So I think he profiles, you know, he's he's definitely safer than Blair at this point. If you want to go out and if, you're, if your only concern is winning games next year, I think he's probably safer as constructed right now than Blair. He's not going to be he's not going to embarrass you like Blair kind of did a, a few times this year, but Whistler I'm I'm worried about Whistler. Let me say that just as a anything more than a fringy 5-6 starter, like I, I don't think it not not that I don't think it's possible to be there, but there it's certainly it's certainly in play now that he's just not a major league starter. I think he was probably my biggest disappointment this year. Um, again, as you mentioned, he doesn't strike guys out. He doesn't really have an out pitch. Um, the stuff is not great. Um, through 155 innings in the ZRA was above five, um, and his FIP was 486. So it's not as if guys were just getting lucky against him and just blooping him everywhere. Um, if anything, his BABIP of 281 against was low. I mean, you have to figure there's a little bit of regression coming in there, even with the home runs. So, um, I'm not enamored with him. I think that, as you kind of mentioned, he's probably the safer. He could probably throw another 150 innings and not um, be bad enough that the Braves have to kick him out of the rotation. Um, But I've got to think, especially, again, if they are going to add two guys, um, I think he'll have a real battle on his hands. Um, And and really, this whole discussion we've had lately just kind of goes to the attrition rate of pitchers. The Braves have loaded up on all these guys, and you look at them and, and look what they've done. Whistler was not good. Aaron Blair could barely hang in the majors after his promotion. Tyrell Jenkins was a top 75 prospect two, three years ago. He's looking like a fringe reliever. Um, even Mike fulton was a top 100 guy who we'll touch on here in a minute. He had a solid season being 24 years old, but he, he's still far, far away from me. The ace that some people thought he might be the strong number one or two. So um, next season will be interesting. I think it's a big year for both of their developments. Um and I guess I kind of lean more towards Blair than Whistler, but uh, assuming both are on the team, they'll be given every chance to to win that final spot. Yeah, I think Bl- I think Blair's upside is certainly higher. So if that's something that if they add if they add two pieces and they keep saying they're going to do that, and you figure those two pieces combine with Julio and Fulte in the rotation, if you're looking for upside, I think Blair certainly has a higher upside than Whistler. And safety is uh, more in Whistler's category. So there's, and again, there's more of these. There's more of these arms that we've not talked about because they're pure minor leaguers now. But Sean Newcomb's coming. There's guys that are uh, definitely more talented than Matt Whistler. No question about that. I just, I'd, I'm interested to see him work with a different pitching coach. That's a guy who I would be interested in, um, kind of the fit with whoever the pitching coach becomes, even if it's Bud Black and Bud Black's the manager. Just kind of seeing what happens with Whistler under a new voice besides McDowell, because I think he kind of stalled out in the last year or so. He looks the same as he did to me a year ago, and that's kind of worrisome, but maybe he'll get jump-started by a new voice in his ear. Um, maybe, sure. maybe a couple of changes here and there. Cause I still like Whistler. I'm not in the tank for him like Carlos is. Shout out to Carlos. But um, <laughs> I think he can be a major leaguer. It's just he, he's on that fringe now. So if he, if, he has an, if he has another bad half season next year, he could be gone in a hurry. Um. Yeah, in a hurry. Um. Okay. We well, you, we tease Fulty there. Let's talk about Fulty. You mentioned his age. He's still very young. Uh, only 123 innings. He had some injury stuff this year, but a nice strikeout to walk ratio. Struck out about eight, a little bit over eight per nine, and while walking only two and a half, which is very nice. Um, too many homers for, but he's still young. Uh, ERA in the low fours, FIP in the low fours, and was worth more than one WAR despite only 22 starts, which is kind of just fine. Um, I guess what what's Fulty's ceiling? Do you think he could still be a, a one or two, or is he going to fit somewhere in that mid rotation range? Uh, kind of what it looked like this year. How much growth is there left with Fulty? I guess is the biggest question. I think he could be a really good number three, and you know everyone kind of wants these guys to be the surefire aces, strike out two hundred guys a year. I think Fulty could be a really good three, considering that good threes get fifteen million, twenty million dollars on the free agent market right now. I think that Braves fans should be thrilled if he becomes a good three. Uh, moving forward, I think he's a guy who's going to have an ERA right around four. You mentioned the solid strikeout and walk rates. Uh, the stuff is certainly there. I think he's continuing to learn how to pitch at the big league level. If you run a game film of him in 2015 compared to this last year, it's night and day. 
Um, I hope that the new pitching coach will have a positive influence on him. Um, and if he's able to just kind of keep maturing, to me, he always seems a little bit older than he is. He's still, like we said, only 24. I always kind of think of him as being 26, 27. Um, he's still very young, and if he's able to make another stride next year, he could be um, a, a really solid three for the club. And if and if he's able to take even more steps forward, I guess he could be a two. Um, but I like what I saw out of him this season. You've mentioned the injuries. He needs to stay healthy over a full year. But um, I thought 2016 was more good than bad for him, and I think that's the, that's a really promising step for him. Yeah, he's one of the only guys we talked about that 26 was a good year. I mean, 2016 was a good year for him because most of these guys that got to the majors, you know, a lot of the prospects had good years, but the guys who actually arrived were disappointing for the most part. I mean, especially Blair, I think of this guy who was – very disappointing in his uh, arrival, especially because he was billed as someone who was close to the majors already upon acquisition. Um, whereas a lot of these prospects are more high upside guys that may not be fur- maybe may further away. Blair was supposed to be the polished option, and that was rough. Um, whereas at least at least um, we saw Fulty be effective and been pretty darn good um, as a very young pitcher. So I, I'm, my expectations are pretty high for Fulty. Um, not I kind of with you that he you know being a three was there's nothing wrong with being a three. I think. The fans get a stigma attached to being a number three starter or being, uh, I guess, something less than a one or two, and not even necessarily being a three. But being a three is very, very valuable. You're going to make eight figures per year all the time, and you're going to be, you know, worth it if you're if you're actually performing that way. So Fulton being that would be a huge return, even though he was the centerpiece of a major deal. Um, that's kind of all he needs to be to justify all of the all of the trade and all, everything that happened with Fulton given his age and stuff. Uh, I guess the last thing is the main event in Julio Tehran. Uh, Julio is um, certainly the best pitcher on this team right now. There's no question about that. I think he's been miscast by a lot of people as as a true number one because he's not that, in my opinion. But he's certainly this team's number one, so I understand where that comes from. And Julio was very good this year. I think some people overstate how good just how good he was because I don't think he was uh, you know as good as his ERA kind of leads us to believe. His ERA was 3.21 for the full season, but Julio did eat through 188 innings with uh, very good production. Uh, you know, more more than a four to one strikeout to walk ratio, and Julio was great. What, I guess is this is this the new Julio after a rough year in 2015? Is this kind of the guy you expect moving forward? Is it going to be up and down, up and down like he has been to this point? I sure hope so. Um, I think this season was probably as good as Julio will be. Um, he finished with a 3-2-1 ERA and a 3-6-9 FIP. Um, he's a guy, though, who has pretty routinely outperformed his FIP throughout his career. Uh, look, if Julio can give the Braves 200 innings of you know 3-2, 3-3 ERA moving forward, considering his contract, he'll be one of the more valuable pitchers in all of baseball. Um, so if he can continue to pitch like he did last year, um, it would be huge for the rebuild efforts, especially as some of the younger guys with a little more upside start to come up. Um, uh, 2016 compared to again similar to Freeman where the Braves were 20 uh, in 2015 with him compared to now um, it's night and day and if he's able to replicate what he did last season uh, moving forward his uh, his contract and value is going to skyrocket even more it looks to me like 2015 is the outlier which is a good thing because the two years previous to 2015 2013 he had a 3.20 ERA 2014 2.89 and then this year 3.21 and you know ERA is not everything uh, Scott and I will be the first people to tell you that but at a certain point Julio is going to be a guy who outperforms his FIP he's now done it four consecutive years his ERA has been lower than his FIP and that's not a coincidence there's something in his makeup I think about a guy like Matt Cain used to be that way in even more in an extreme fashion Cain was like legendary for always beating his FIP by, by, by like a full run and Julio is more like a half a run but it's still consistently been happening over the last yeah. four years, even last year when he was rough in 2015, he still beat his fit by almost a half a run. So it's something in his makeup that tells you tell, that tells you that he's going to beat that for, for whatever reason. And I think it's pretty safe to assume he's going to be somewhere in that low three range in ERA. That's you know three out of the last four years, and it's kind of been identical for pretty much in those three years outside of last year the, in the and the outlier. So if that guy's your number two, it's great. If he's your number one, it's you know not ideal, I would say, because his upside is just not that high. Um, you know, I, I think he's still some for some reason dealing with the stigma that came with being like the top pitching prospect in baseball at one point. I think people still think he's going to be better, and this is kind of what he is. He's not as dominant with his stuff as he used to be, but he's a professional pitcher. He hits his spots. He knows he knows he knows what to do. He knows how to pitch, and uh, he's still very young, man. The contract you mentioned is the huge thing, but who is only twenty five? 
he seems like he's 30, but Julio's 25 years old. Like he's got yeah. eight, uh, 820 innings in the majors, but he, that's that's great. It's a great setup. He's durable for the most part, and uh, it's it's just a nice piece to have, especially on that contract that we both we, we both keep referencing. I wrote about it this year. We talked about it a ton, but it is such a heist and such a team friendly deal that his value is through the roof, and that's the argument for not trading him because that's always the backdrop for this trade this trade happy team right now is do you trade him? And it's like no because. You know, I guess his value would be off the charts, so I get it from that perspective. But he's—you also need guys making lo, making low money on your team when you have a restricted payroll like the Braves do. Like you can't afford to go out and pay market value for everybody, so you have to take the value where it comes. And Julio is such a great value and such a good pitcher that, you know, is he a top fifty pitcher in the league? I think absolutely. Um, top thirty, yeah, maybe somewhere in there. Like. It's certainly not crazy. Uh, I mean, and that, that that kind of by definition makes you a number one, which is it's faulty logic because a lot of teams don't have ones. Like the Braves don't have one, in my opinion. But you know, top forty, fifty pitcher in the league making peanuts is just a great thing to have. Yeah, no, that deal is uh, it cannot be overstated how valuable that deal is to the Braves, and I think that's why when everyone mentions them trading him, I just kind of laugh because. There's no chance uh, the Braves would deal him with this current contract situation. I guess they could, um, but the, the return would have to be twice of what they got for Shelby Miller for me to think it's worth their while in the long run. Yeah, it would have to be the deal of all deals, especially because of the fact that they don't really have any much. You know, there's not much else in way of certainty in, the, in this rotation, and they want to compete next year. So even if they got a blow away offer for Julio um, in terms of like bats coming back. It'd be really tough to deal your one proven piece in the rotation, knowing that you want to be pretty competitive next year. Like I think it's overstated, and I think you might agree with me that about how good the Reds are going to be in 2017. But at the same time, they're not going to want to win 65 games next year in a new ballpark. They're going to want to be at least shooting for 80. Uh, you know, mid 70s. Mid 70s is probably a more reasonable goal. But like they're going to be, they're not. That's not going to be okay with them. I don't think. At least not. To start with, so if you you give away not give away, but if you trade away uh, your your best pitcher, even if it's just for this massive haul, it'd be really tough to justify to the fan base, um, at least now, unless it was like a, a proven major league commodity coming back, and then it kind of doesn't make a ton of sense given what the Braves are doing right now. So, Julio's going to be on this team for a while, I think we both think, and uh, that'll be fun. Well, that kind of wraps up uh, the player portion of this in terms of player by player. We we got on most guys. If we miss somebody that you really want to hear us talk about, you can tell me. And we'll hit on a, on a future show if you want to hear uh, deep cuts about Daniel Castro. And that's he's been the kind of a joke guy for me. But Daniel's a nice, a nice young man. So if you want to hear more about Daniel Castro, we can do that. Uh, I do want to ask you, Scott, uh, for one one thing that was that surprised you in 2016. It might be something we already talked about, but you can restate it. And then one, uh, you know, depends on how, how bold you want to make it. But one prediction for 2017 that you kind of feel strongly about. Oh, man. Um, I know that's super broad, so you can just kind of take it wherever you want. <laughs> I think maybe the biggest surprise or pleasant surprise was just how good and comfortable Dansby looked um, in this two months in the big leagues. He was a guy who kind of just stepped in and right away you could just tell he was going to be a star. Um, and that goes back to the whole trade of the decade thing. Um, that just jump-started the Braves so much. And when you look at Dansby, uh, he's a smart guy. He's a hard worker, a guy who the Braves are going to be able to count on for hopefully a long time to come. And just uh, how ready he was for the big leagues and how well uh, he handled it. I also think the Braves coaching staff deserves a lot of credit for how they handled him, sitting him against some of the uh, really good starters that they faced early on to give him kind of a mental break. Um, for a guy who was supposedly kind of wearing down in the minors, I think his ability to translate to the big leagues was was just awesome to watch. Um, so as far as last year goes, I would say Dansby, um, boy, next season, I think the Braves are going to make a major move for a starting pitcher. Um, the three guys who I think are the, I guess the, the leaders in my clubhouse would be, uh, sale or Quintana from, uh, from the white Sox or, uh, Archer from the Rays. Um, it would cost a whole lot, but I think the Braves have so much depth in their farm system right now that they they are one of the few teams that could be primed to pull a you know a five for one a six for one uh, and at some point you have to start dealing this depth because one you only have so many roster spots and two the nature of baseball is that most prospects aren't going to work out um, so I do think the Braves are going to get a legitimate ace 
um, this offseason. Um, all three of those guys are surefire aces. They're aces really in the American League, and then you take them out of the hitter-friendly AL Central or AL East and put them in the NL East. Um, you can only imagine what kind of numbers they put up. So uh, my prediction for the offseason is that they add um, two starters, one of which will be of the ace variety, because um, I think the Braves are serious about contending next year, and I think the last couple months have shown that they can. Um, it's just a matter of getting the right guys in place, and, and I would not be surprised at all if they swung a, a blockbuster deal. You heard it here, folks. You're hearing it here first, folks. That's Scott Coleman saying that the Braves are going to trade for an ace. I'm going to use that in a blog post later. Uh, report, so when they report. when they sign yeah so when they sign Andrew Kashner and uh, Josh Colmenter as their fifth starter oh. open X you can laugh at me well there's gonna be one of those I don't know if it's Kashner's the popular one especially if they hire Bud Black that would not surprise anyone if they sign Andrew Kashner but I'm kind of with you I think I think there's gonna be a trade coming of some size for a major leaguer I don't know if it's gonna be one of those aces I think they're gonna definitely call on guys like that uh, but it might be a bat too I mean that's something that's in play as well is. Maybe they go out and get, I don't know, Just it's tough to figure out. People always ask, the biggest question we always get in the mailbag is, you know, who are the Braves going to trade for that's a big name? And it's like, well, the pitchers are a little bit easier to figure out because they are kind of more available, like at least they're known to be more available. Like Chris Sale's on the market. Chris Archer's probably going to be on the market for the right price, um, whereas the bats are difficult to project because, A, the Braves don't have that obvious hole. I mean, third base and catcher are the ones we always talk about, but the catcher market is rough kind of everywhere, and third base is just weird in general. There's not that many top-tier guys. So I don't know. I think I'm with you on that, that they're definitely going to be calling, and I would be all about a four or five-to-one five deal for one of those pitchers because and it's not going to like they're going to go they're, – they're, they're going to ask for the top five prospects. It's not going to be one of those. It's going to be you know two or three maybe of your top 12 prospects and the rest are – and maybe two or your next 12 beyond that, something like that. For one of those top tier pitchers, that'd be very interesting to see, and it'd be funny to see all the Braves fans freak out after they've been attached to these prospects. Now, if for some reason we wake up and a couple of these top flight guys are gone, and Chris Archer's back, and people are going to be upset because the Braves traded so much for him, it's going to happen. You ready for that? Yeah, I think so. I I, I think they're going to do something. I don't know exactly what it's going to be, but they have I, to listen well, for all the stuff yeah. they're talking about. If they're if 2017 is really a priority in terms of. You know, maybe not being a World Series contender, but actually being a playoff-ish team next year, they absolutely have to make a big move or two. Like, there's no yeah. no no peripheral move is going to put this team in the playoffs next year. It's not happening. Right. Like, it's going to be a couple of them. It has to, it it to be. They like, you can't, to do. Yeah. You can't just sign like run-of-the-mill four starters and not do anything to your to your lineup, and then think you're going to win 90 games. Like, it's not happening. Yep. yep. No, it's definitely not an overnight fix. But I think that you do add in a couple of starters and a couple of hitters, and then you do have a real chance to compete. Well, Scott, I thank you for coming on, my friend. Uh, we will definitely do this again during the offseason when there's less to talk about. And again, everybody, I'm sure the Braves have hired a manager by the time you're listening to this, but uh, we did our best. Just know that. Scott, um, tell us what uh, you've been writing on for Talking Chop recently and uh, where to follow you and all that good stuff if people haven't already done that. Uh, yeah, finished up the uh, catcher season review last week, which is on the site. Um, I'm working on uh, the club's five uh, biggest off-season questions. Um, once we kind of get a manager in place, that, of course, is easier to move along. So um, that series will be running here in the next couple weeks. Um, and I'm online on, uh, on Twitter at ScottColeman55. Scott's a must-follow if you're not already following him. He even had this, uh, an epic back-and-forth with Keith Law today about pizza. If you uh, <laughs> wanted to check that out on Twitter. Uh, Scott Coleman, personal friend of Keith Law. So there you go. That's right. We have good <laughs> we have good talks on there. Uh, I'm a big fan of Keith, so I'm just uh, that was that, yeah. was, that was entertaining he's, for me. He's a good guy. Uh, anyway, thank you, Scott. We'll do this again, and uh, stay tuned for the next podcast, everybody. We might might not be every week uh, for a little while here. We'll definitely react to the manager whenever that happens. But there could, there's a chance we might have a week or two off in the uh, sort of the dog days of October, November when nothing's really happening uh, in Braves country because once we get to the winter meetings, we'll be certainly be every week or more after that. But uh, in the next couple months, just kind of keep tabs on us. We'll be around. There's always a post on TalkingChop.com uh, for every podcast. And if you've not subscribed already, please go ahead and do that on iTunes. That's a great way to uh, get the podcast as quickly as possible and also review the show with five stars if you are so inclined. That really helps us also. Thanks again for listening, everybody, and we'll be back in the very near future.